Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. The next chapter in the book of Isaiah that God in His providence has brought us to. While these words are a little unnerving when first heard, we are part of a secret society. The Church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God in the world, is a secret society in that the world doesn't see it, and doesn't understand it, and doesn't appreciate it. It's not called a secret society in the Bible, it's called a mystery. And by a mystery, it's not seen or understood or known by the world. But the world has always had this secret society. There have been believers throughout the history of the world, unknown by the world, unappreciated by the world, and yet here in the world perpetually. They were hidden and obscured, but they were here. When you look at Isaiah and these chapters here in the middle of the 50s, I want you to look at Isaiah 54 just to get us warmed up for these passages and the third verse. Isaiah 54 and verse 3, speaking of this secret society or this church, which for a time was the nation of Israel. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. There's a reference to this secret society or the kingdom of God in the world. It was going to explode with growth, which we'll deal with in just a moment. Then look at the last verse of this chapter, a verse that's a favorite to many in Isaiah 54. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. There's another reference to this kingdom of God in the world, and how no weapon and no waster, no tormentor, no persecutor of the church would succeed. Then if we look at chapter 55 and verse 4, it tells us, that God has given him, that is the son of David, for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. We have a leader and we have a commander the world cannot see and the press corps cannot question and assassins cannot touch. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, part of a, he's the head of a secret society in the world, but we won't be secret for long because the Bible has a promise and a prophecy that says the whole creation is waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. When the sons of God, you and me, by faith in Jesus Christ, we show that we're his sons, will be revealed to the whole universe. And then verse 13, the last verse that we'll cover today, instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The church of Jesus Christ redeemed sinners out of this world that love him, that love each other, that live in peace and righteousness, joy and hope are a sign of the Lord's existence in the world. And we shall be forever with the Lord and forever testifying of his grace. So with these verses of introduction, let's look at Isaiah 54 this morning, and may the Lord bless us by his Spirit.
to realize that we're part of a great kingdom that has existed here for 6,000 years of world history and will be here when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Isaiah 54 has 17 verses. Here is a one-sentence description of this chapter. The remnant church shrunk and shamed in Babylon would flourish again in prosperity and protection. So Isaiah 54 in its 17 verses are going to tell us about a despised, obscure, troubled, weak period of time for God's kingdom when it was called Israel and how God was going to restore it, explode it in growth, add the Gentiles to it, and we would be here waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come for us. That's Isaiah 54. The previous chapter, Isaiah 53, we spent two weeks on it, detailed in 15 glorious verses the work of redemption by the Lord Jesus Christ. All religious and spiritual favor and blessings, all goodness that comes from God, depends on and is predicated by the Lord Jesus Christ dying for us the way he did. Remember that last verse? There's a therefore at that last verse in Isaiah 53, because based on what Jesus did, therefore God was going to divide the spoil with him, and he in turn would divide the spoil, yes, with us. And Isaiah 54 is some of that spoil. And Isaiah 55 is some of that spoil. In Isaiah 54, it's the kingdom that we have with him and each other. And in 55, it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the forgiveness of sins practically and the promises of God that are certain. Now, it is a choice this morning. Many of you are in your homes because of an implied and requested stay-at-home order in our state during this pandemic of 2019. We're in 2020, but it is COVID-19, which was first identified last year. You're in your homes, and it's a choice whether you get excited about these verses or not. It's a choice as to how important the kingdom of Jesus Christ is to you. You just heard about a 10-minute exhortation on the brevity of life. You just heard an excellent exhortation on how you ought to be applying yourself minute by minute to seeking things that are eternal, seeking things that are better than the soap bubbles of this life. Well, they're right here. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He's called us out of this world and made us part of his own nation, a holy nation. We're kings and priests in this nation. Kings, because he's a king, and we're his brothers, and he's coming for us soon. Nothing in this world can touch us. If the worst, as the world calls it, if the worst were to happen to us, which is death, it would be the best for us, because its outcome would be the best. We would be in heaven, and Paul said it was far better to be there. But it's, it is your job to focus. I'm focused, and the assembly isn't very large here during our lockdown. But I'm focused because these are wonderful words. And I have prayed that by his spirit and by this word, you'll be blessed. So let's go through these verses rather quickly. And I want you to see the kingdom of Jesus Christ, how it was obscure, how it was troubled, because they needed some chastening for a while, but how God was going to explode them in size, then bless them with beauty, 
and protect them gloriously in this chapter of 54. So let's go to the first lesson of Isaiah 54, which covers verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 54, 1 through 3. Sing! That's why we sang. That's why we sang. Because we're supposed to sing. The content in Isaiah 54 should be sufficient to motivate you to want to sing. So I can't get past the first word in my reading. Let's try again. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Amen and amen. The first lesson from these three verses, the explosion of the church to include Gentiles. The church for 1,500 years was the nation of Israel. From 1500 BC with Moses coming down from Mount Sinai and God making a church out of that nation until the coming of John the Baptist and the introduction of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and then us Gentiles becoming part of it. But notice here, there's going to be an explosion of the church because it says in verse 3, thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. Israel was kind of shrunken in size. Ten tribes had been taken captive by Shalmaneser of the Assyrians, and then Judah had been desolated, and the few that were remaining were taken captive into Babylon. And so from the perspective of Isaiah and his immediate audience, it was a shrunken, despised, obscure church. Now, since a church in the Bible is compared to a woman, remember a sermon maybe a year ago, entitled, A Troubled Virgin, or A Threatened Virgin, the virgin daughter of Zion, because the Lord compares churches to women. Well, here's a woman that doesn't have any children because she's so small, and she has to live in the city of Babylon where there seems to be great prosperity and great numbers. Let me chase this short little rabbit. If you think our church is small because we only have 200 souls, Remember that our church is part of a church. Our local church is part of a general church. Our local assembly is part of the general assembly. And the general assembly is a multitude that no man can number. We are part of a mega church, and you shouldn't ever forget it. It's a, it's a mega church of geography because it stretches through local congregations around the world, and it's a general church and a large church of time. And so we have two enormous dimensions that make it a huge church. Don't ever forget that about our church. You can't see the others. And so in verse 1, the metaphor, the prophetic similitude, is a woman. And she doesn't have any kids. And those around her seem to be having all the kids. She's sort of like Hannah, who had to put up with Peninnah 
because she didn't have any. She's sort of like Sarah, who had to put up with Hagar mocking her because Hagar immediately conceived and Sarah hadn't conceived in decades of trying. And so that's verse 1. Sing, O barren. Church, you're barren. You appear barren. You're like a woman because it's a metaphor. It's a word picture for us. Church, you're small and despised in Babylon, but you're going to explode in growth because I'm going to bring you out of Babylon and forget what they did under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. That's all small potatoes compared to what he did with the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ because they brought in the Gentiles and the Gentiles are in verse 3. So we've got to look way past Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi, we've got to look to John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Apostle Paul, and what happened to that church. So sing, O barren, and we should sing. We should want to sing because we're part of this church. We're part of this kingdom. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. It appeared she was a woman that was barren. This church looked barren because it wasn't growing. Break forth into singing, and so we should. And that's why we've sung this morning, and why we'll sing again. And cry aloud. Don't let it be some mumbling like most Christians sing in, in church. Let's cry aloud with our excitement and enthusiasm that God's chosen out of this fearful, hopeless, depraved, wicked, cruel, obnoxious, ignorant world to be part of his enlightened, blessed, righteous, holy, and hope-filled church. Let's shout and sing. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth in his singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with children, because there's a reason, and the reason is in the second half of the verse, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Hannah didn't have any. Then she had Samuel. Then she had five more. Don't ever forget that about, about Hannah. And so the children of Isaac that came through Sarah, which nation is greatest in the world right now? The Ishmaelites or the kingdom of Jesus Christ that came through Isaac? One is enormously larger. Lord bless us to see that. Lord, let us celebrate it by our singing and our crying out. That's verse 1. It's a metaphor. It's a word picture. It's describing the church as a woman that doesn't have kids, and it seems like all the religions and all the nations around her were just growing fast, and she wasn't, but then she did. So sing like a barren woman that now has more children than all the women that you once envied. Sing like a church and a nation and a kingdom that is greater than any other kingdom, and we were chosen to citizenship in it. Verse 2 is another word picture, except this time it's not a woman, it's a tent. It's that simple. It is saying the exact same thing. Verse 2 is the same as verse 1, except a barren woman is not the word picture. It's a tent. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Get a bigger tent. Because you're not going to be able to house the size of this church. And let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Get enough material that you can stretch this material to accommodate many more members of this church and citizens of this kingdom. Spare not. Don't try to save money in buying material for this tent because you need a huge church. 
Lengthen thy cords. All the cords, the stays that hold a tent together and hold it in place, lengthen them. Get more rope. Get more stays because you're going to have to build a much larger tent to live in because the kingdom of God is exploding on the earth. Verse 3 describes it. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. In all directions, the kingdom of God, which began so limited geographically in the Middle East, around Jerusalem and the Jordan River Basin, exploded in the world in every direction, and then it brought in the Gentiles as well, and it was huge. And I like the word explosion because we often use it exploded in growth as a common expression. Here it's thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. There's going to be citizens for every city. Still word pictures. Because the kingdom of God is not really cities, except churches are like cities. And they're going to be inhabited as Jews and Gentiles are brought together. This is why we ought to sing. Every sports team has a song. We should be singing. And we do sing. And we want to sing. And we want to sing loudly because of this blessing. We're those Gentiles in verse 3. The next lesson of Isaiah 54. Now that you've got the general flow, it's going to come, the church of God is going to come from obscurity and explode in growth and blessings by God's favor. Verses 4 and 5. Marriage to God Jehovah removed all the church's shame. 4 and 5. Fear not. For thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded. For thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Amen and amen. You're not going to be ashamed anymore. You were ashamed, but you won't be ashamed anymore because God is your husband and he's going to take you back. That's the next lesson. But I do like to break it into pieces that makes it easier for us to understand. Verse 4, don't worry. I've got the future covered. You're not going to be ashamed or reproached again. Do you know how small Israel was? Do you know how easily Nebuchadnezzar took the city of Jerusalem? Do you know how easily he leveled the temple house of worship for Jehovah? It, it was ridiculous. They could make fun of the God of Israel for 70 years. And Belshazzar did on the last night of making fun of the God of Israel. Think about that, that reproach and that shame for the reduced size of the nation. Under David and Solomon, the nations from the Euphrates to the Nile paid tribute to Israel. They knew the God of Israel. They knew the God of Israel had defeated the Egyptians. They knew about the 185,000 slain. But all of a sudden, it's in obscurity. But the husband is back. The husband is back, and he wants his little wife back. He put her away because she deserved to be put away, but he's bringing her back. So don't be afraid. You're not going to be ashamed anymore like you were in your youth because God has a plan in, for you, and it's not just the regathering to Judah from Babylon. Oh, remember, our context here has already been set 
It extends to the time of the Gentiles. So it extends to the apostles running around the world, the apostle Paul going from city to city among Gentile nations, preaching the gospel and Gentiles wanting to join it. Now it's not obscure at all. Do you know that Roman Empire? If you were to read the first chapter of Fox's Book of Martyrs, you would read about the 10 persecutions. There are 10 specific persecutions by the Roman Empire of Christians in the first couple hundred years. But then Constantine, in the early 300s, the 4th century, had to convert to Christianity because the kingdom of Jesus Christ was turning the world upside down and was huge, and there was no reason to be ashamed of Christ your king. He was turning the world upside down, including the Roman Empire. And the effect of Christianity is worldwide. So don't be afraid. Forget the shame of your youth. Don't remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. Forget your obscurity in the past. And brethren, we are not eight souls on the ark. We are not a few in Babylon. We are worldwide. Some of you clicked on a link that I provided you and saw all nations of the earth singing in Christ alone simultaneously by the witty inventions that we have today with pictures of them. And it was beautiful. You know, we don't know how many of them were sincere and how, how many were believers, but to sing in Christ alone and go through that kind of effort to do it, we're going to assume they're sincere. And sure, they held some errors, but to sing of the Lord Jesus Christ and their confidence in him alone was a wonderful blessing. We have a great kingdom because our husband is back and he wants us back. He didn't leave us because he's fickle. He left us because we were fickle. The, the Jews were fickle. And they changed their worship from the worship of Jehovah to the worship of other gods. You should love verse 5. For thy maker is thine husband. Just look at these clauses. Your creator is the one you're married to. The most intimate relationship in life, intimate, is a husband and a wife. And God is our husband. And this God is our creator. Their gods are their own imaginations. Their gods are idols of wood and stone. Their gods are heavenly bodies that are just material, irrational. Our God is our creator. He's infinite in wisdom. He's infinite in power. He's infinite in design. And so thy maker is thine husband. He's got all the power to take care of you. You're not going to be reproached forever. The Lord of hosts is his name. Jehovah of the angels. Jehovah, general and captain of the angels of heaven, is his name. The Lord Jehovah, Lord of hosts, many times throughout the Bible. And thy Redeemer, the one that's bought you back from Babylon and is going to set you up and make you great in the earth, is the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called because the worship of Jehovah monotheistic worship of one God is going to spread through the whole world. So we have four expressions in one verse. There is no reason to be ashamed of our church. There is no reason to be ashamed of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is great. And it is the servant and the temple and the body and the wife of the great God of heaven that's the creator of all things, whose name is Jehovah, I am that I am, the king of angels, 
And the host of the uh, and the hosts and armies of all of heaven, he's our redeemer, he's the holy one of Israel, and he's the God of the whole earth. What else do you want in your husband? You shouldn't want anything else in your husband. So let's come to the next lesson. Thank you, blessed God. Verses 6 through 8. God would restore the church. God would restore Israel after divorcing her. 6 through 8. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. Amen. God jumps back to the similitude, the metaphor, the word picture of the church being like a woman, a young wife. And the husband got tired of her. So he threw her out. It grieved her spirit. Just look at the word. Look at verse 6. The Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken. Because it looked like the church had been forsaken, thrown away by God, and grieved in spirit. The poor things crying beside the road. Picture whatever you need to, to make it real to you. And a wife of youth, young, she never got to have any children, never really got into the marriage. But he took her home from the honeymoon, took, took a look at her the second morning, took a look at her the second week or the second month, and threw her away. The word picture. The word picture. Because it looked like Israel had been discarded by the great God. If he's the maker of heaven and earth, if he's the God of the whole earth, if he's the Lord of hosts, why is she so pitiful looking? Why is she grieving in spirit? Well, he must have discarded her. That's the word picture. Oh, brethren, do you know what it's like to be on this side of the cross and not have any events like this coming in the future? We are the future of this chapter. We are the future of the next chapter. He's never going to desert us. He's left his kingdom. He's given us a kingdom which shall never be changed or removed and shall last forever. The Lord hath called thee. He's called you back to him, Israel. You know, you once were forsaken and you were grieved about it. And you were just young and you were thrown away when you were refused by God because he didn't want to live with you. And here's the Lord explaining. For a small moment have I forsaken thee. Your little time in Babylon, your little time being persecuted, your little time by Shalmaneser taking away ten tribes, your little time of obscurity between now and the coming of John the Baptist, all that's included because the greatness of Israel did not occur until John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. I'm going to send John the Baptist and the Son of God, and I will gather you. And did they ever. Those, the men and the women loved the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles and followed them that were part of the true remnant church, the elect church of Jesus Christ. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. So God did forsake them, but then he gathered them back, and they deserved the forsaking. In a little wrath... Look at verse 8. Look what he calls having your city toward the ground by Nebuchadnezzar. In a little wrath, 
because you've never really seen God angry. If we really saw God angry, how long would we exist? We'd be out of existence. So in a little wrath, I hid my face from thee for a moment. I didn't want to be married to you for a little while. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. In Jesus Christ we are perpetually married to God. He's never going to cast us away. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. The Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ and his relationship to us. And so the kingdom presses on. It's filled the whole earth. The churches are everywhere. And we're one of those churches. And not all of those churches believe the proper body of doctrine, but the churches of Jesus Christ are in many places. And we thank the Lord for that. And so the Lord tells the church, you're going to explode in growth. I know it's been rough. And I had to divorce you, put you away. But you were like this little, this little tiny pup tent. But I don't want a pup tent for my kingdom. It's going to be a great tent with rooms, and you need long cords, and you need stronger stakes to hold this thing up, and you need more material and don't spare, because I'm going to fill it beyond your imagination. And so he did. And so the little time that she was put away was to result in the greatness of the church since the time of Jesus Christ, and we are part of that church. The next lesson, verses 9 and 10. His promise that he would do this and grow the church and prosper the church was like the rainbow and like mountains. So I'll read two, I'll read two verses. Verse 9. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. This. Everything that he's just said. What he's going to do to the forsaken woman. that he's, going to, he's married to her again. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. I will not do that again. And I guarantee it the same way that I guaranteed there wouldn't be a worldwide flood again. And I've brought you to this passage before because I knew that we were coming to Isaiah. And this is one of the special verses of Isaiah. When you see a rainbow, how many things should you think? One or two? When you see a rainbow, you're obviously going to think that bow in the clouds is God's promise that he's never going to drown the whole earth with a worldwide flood again. That's number one. That's okay. Genesis 6 through 9 give you leave to do that. But Isaiah 54 and verse 9 tells you that there should be a second thing you think about. My husband will never leave me. My husband is not going to rebuke me again. He's not going to tell me he doesn't like me again. He's not going to throw me out again. The king shall greatly desire thy beauty. Where is that from? Psalm 45. And is it speaking of the Old Testament era or the New Testament era? It's speaking of Jesus Christ and his marriage to the church. The king shall greatly desire thy beauty. Brethren, 
sang. Break forth in loud singing. Cry aloud. Look what the Lord's done for us. We're on this side of Isaiah. Isaiah isn't my favorite book of the Bible because it's Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians. But this Old Testament prophet Isaiah was looking forward and out of the horizon, as he peered into the distant future, he saw little mountains pop up. There's there's the regathering out of Babylon. But behind that was a bigger mountain and that was the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And you've, you've got to visualize Poor Isaiah hardly knew what he was writing about, but he was writing about us. Weren't we in verse 3? And what's going to make this crowd so large that they needed a larger tent? It's us Gentiles. Because there's many more of us than there were Jews in the kingdom of God. If you go to Revelation chapter 7, you can read 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Judah. 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Reuben. And it goes through all 12 tribes. And so you end up with 144,000 elect Jews in a symbolic picture of the size of the Jewish church. What is the next verse? And I saw a multitude that no man can number out of every nation, tribe, kindred, and people on earth. And that's the church. And so the Lord's never going to do that to us again. He's coming for us to receive us up into heaven. Praise his great and glorious name. It is as certain as the rainbow tells us there's not going to be a worldwide flood. It's the same kind of certainty. And we trust that rainbow that we're not going to drown in our beds. And verse 10, the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. And we've covered this in recent sermons from Isaiah. And it's throughout the Bible. Though heaven and earth shall pass away, my word shall not pass away. That description is often used because hills and mountains are the biggest, strongest, most permanent things you know. And they will be taken away, but my word will not. So in verse 10, the mountains shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. I am married to you. I am committed to you. I will never rebuke you again. I am always going to think you are the prettiest thing on earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In songs of sublime adoration and praise, ye pilgrims for Zion who press, break forth and extol the great ancient of days, his rich and distinguishing grace. And here it is. The next lesson. Verses 11 through 14. He promised beauty and prosperity to this growing church. 11 through 14. I read to you from Isaiah 54. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of agates, and thy gates of carbuncles, and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Amen and amen. This woman, despised and rejected, retaken by the Lord, He's recommitted to her. He's given her a covenant that is sure as the covenant he made with Noah. 
He's going to make her church beautiful. He's going to make her nation beautiful. He's going to lay all kinds of precious stones on making it the most beautiful city on earth. Again, a picture of the church, a word picture of the kingdom of God. So verse 11, you afflicted and tossed with tempest and not comforted church, I'm going to make you beautiful. Because a woman that's thrown out, verse 11 is true. She's afflicted, she's tossed with tempest, and not comforted. And Israel looked that way, and Israel was that way. But the Lord said, I'm going to make you beautiful. And the beauty was not the little bit of gold and silver that Zerubbabel had to rebuild the temple, because they were grieved about that. I mean, they wept, because the gold and silver that they had to make the second temple under Zerubbabel was very inferior to Solomon's temple, and they knew it, so they wept. But the Lord told them in Haggai chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2, he said, all the gold and the silver is mine anyway. This house is going to have greater glory than the former house, because in this house I'm going to make peace. It's right here in your context. And that peace is by the blood of the cross. And that peace is part of the kingdom of God under the reign of Jesus Christ, because nothing interrupts his kingdom. And so he's going to make it beautiful, and it's the gospel kingdom. It's what we have today. And if today, sitting in your homes, hearing this, you do not feel the passion, it's your fault. Either you're not saved, or you're living carnally. Because if you're saved, and you're living in the Spirit, you can understand this description of being of the church of Jesus Christ and the promises he's made to us and he's made us beautiful by sending Jesus Christ into this New Testament church. And in this place, I'll give peace, he told us in Haggai chapter 2. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Haggai 2, 6 through 9, God's answer to Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, as to how discouraged they were about the appearance of the rebuilt temple. But the Lord was going to make it beautiful by sending Jesus Christ into that temple who is called the desire of all nations because he's my desire and I am not part of Israel. That Israel, the biological Israel, and neither are you believers that have joined with me this morning. I will make thy windows of agates. That's a colored, multi-layered stone. It's, ab it's in a category of its own. Carbuncles are red. Board and then he just throws in borders of pleasant stones. Sapphires are back there in 11. And we're, fair colors. He's going to make it beautiful. These, these are word pictures. You're not supposed to get any more out of them. It's prophetic similitudes. It's beautiful. You know, it was a tent in verse 2. It was a woman in verse 1. And here it is. It's a city. And it's got gates. And it's got borders that's, that have to be laid. But they're all beautiful. This is Mount Zion of the New Testament. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. John chapter 6, verse 45, sounds like this. John 6, 45. Jesus told that crowd that gathered with him after he fed the 5,000. Jesus said this in John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, Ah, and they shall be all taught of God. 
Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So there's a description of the New Testament era and the Lord Jesus Christ pulled from Isaiah 54 in his discussion of the sovereignty of God in opening the hearts of men so that they will believe on his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 13, all thy children, the future of your nation, the future of your kingdom, your descendants shall be taught of the Lord. And this is the elect remnant of the church. And great shall be the peace of thy children, because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost under the lordship of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In righteousness shalt thou be established. That's because Jesus Christ's kingdom is righteous and his reign is righteous. He doesn't judge after what he sees. He doesn't judge after what he hears, but he judge right, judges righteous judgment. And if you read Isaiah 11 last night, you have helped me by remembering what was said there about his reign, that his kingdom would be full of peace because they would not hurt in all his holy mountain because of his holy and righteous judgment and leadership. And so the kingdom is moving from this forsaken, barren woman into this exploding church that needs a much larger tent and is going to be beautified by God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, which brings us to only one other thing we need. We're never going to be rebuked again. We're never going to be kicked out again. He loves us and thinks we're beautiful and perfect. We only need one other thing. Protection from enemies. The last three verses. The last lesson of Isaiah 54. Verse 15. Behold. Some of you think you believe in conspiracies. Here's a conspiracy. Here are the enemies of the church gathering together. Watch. Behold. They shall surely gather together but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created a smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment Thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Amen and amen. Now picture the church of Jesus Christ. It was already suffering persecution while Paul was alive. Suffering persecution at the hands of the Jews and at the hands of the Romans. The Jews would use the Romans against the church. And it's been that way through pagan Rome, then papal Rome. Pagan Rome endured until 476 AD, then papal Rome from about 606 AD until 17, 1800s for the 1260 years of the Roman Catholic Church. They gathered together, but not by me. I want you to notice the difference. Were there ever enemies that gathered together by him? Yes, Sennacherib the Assyrian was just a rod in his hand. But it says, they're going to gather together in a conspiracy against you. This beautiful church that I'm going to make, by the dragon that's behind them, they're going to try to destroy it. But it won't be by me. 
It won't be like what you've been reading in Isaiah, where Sennacherib the Assyrian was my instrument. It's not going to be by me. I have better things in store for you than that. I'm going to keep you. They shall surely gather together, but not by me. I do not have a chastening act in mind like I did with Sennacherib. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake, because I love you, and I am committed to you, and I am your husband, I am your maker, I'm the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord of hosts, and I'm the God of the whole earth, and you're mine. And when they mess with you, they're messing with me. Pagan Rome did not last very long. Let's back up from that. Did the Jews conspire against Jesus of Nazareth? Did the Jews get together and take counsel of how they might catch Jesus in his words? What happened to them just 40 years later? Destroyed to the ground. Their city destroyed. They shall fall for thy sake because I love thee. They should not have touched thee. Then Rome fell to the Visigoths in 476 AD. Then the Roman Catholic Church fell to what we could call the Reformation. And out of the woodwork came the Church of Jesus Christ, huge in numbers, cut off by the thousands and millions during the Dark Ages, and yet still large when they came out into the open. Oh, verse 15 is her protection. Remember in Revelation chapter 12, the great wings of an eagle would take the church into the wilderness and hide her there for a time and times and half a time away from the enemy? This is a prophecy of the church of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles have been brought into it. And they've had a persecuted lot, but the Lord's been on their side. And we have had in our church, by design, by intentional worship, we have taken two years in the last seven to dedicate to the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And when we look at those martyrs of Jesus Christ, who won when a martyr was burned at the stake? based on what we were able to read about what was said against them and what was said by them to their tormentors. Who was winning? The martyrs won every time because the Lord was with them. They're going to gather together. There's going to be a conspiracy. The secular arm of the nations of Europe and the religious arm of the Roman Catholic Church combined in history books as the Holy Roman Empire would come together to eradicate the church of Jesus Christ. But they would not be able to do so because God owns their weapons of war and them. Next verse, verse 16. Behold, I have created the smith. That's a blacksmith that bloweth the coals in the fire to get them red hot for forming a weapon and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, a sword, a rack, pinchers, flesh scissors, to cut off parts of your body. I made them, and I have created the waster to destroy. The inquisitions of the Catholic Church, I have created them and their weapons. They are fully under my thumb, and I will be with you. And he was. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Verse 17. Did it... Did it end the church of Jesus Christ? No, it did not. It thrived. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. We have had read to us 
two whole years in the last seven of the charges brought by the enemies of Jesus Christ, primarily Roman Catholic priests, bishops, Church of England priests and bishops, against the martyrs. They join together their every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment. And what did we have? Illiterate women on occasion. What does it say here? Condemn them. We, we rejoiced in it in this church. We celebrated it. We shouted amens as we heard of children, youth, women, the uneducated, the poor, the, those that didn't have books to learn, but they had some of the Word of God and they had the Spirit of God. Though tongues conspired together to condemn them, they condemned them in turn and we rejoiced in it. This is the fulfillment. This is this fits the New Testament so perfectly, and we're pushed toward it by verse 3 that tells us this is the church after the Gentiles have been brought into it. And that's what's happened. First the Jews, then pagan Rome, then papal Rome. No weapon shall prosper. It will not end the church. The church will go into hiding, and it will prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. This is the heritage of the true servants of God. This is the heritage of the church of Jesus Christ. This is the heritage of the kingdom of God. They would have God protecting them. And so this prophecy, for 17 verses, rose from a barren woman with no children, looking like the nation and the church was over. And it exploded with growth. Us Gentiles were brought into it. It's as certain as the rainbow that we're not going to have a worldwide flood. And it's been made very beautiful by God laying the stones of the heavenly Zion. And he's guaranteed to protect us because even the blacksmith is his and the bellows are his and the weapon are his and the waster is his. He's got them totally under his control. And even on trial, he would put words into the mouths of women that could defend the gospel against the learned bishops and priests of Rome. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and bless your souls to set your hearts this day in the little bit of remaining time that you have to love the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to love the king of that kingdom who is Jesus Christ and to love the other citizens of that kingdom around you in this church. Let's build this church up. Here's our heritage. All these blessings, there is, they're more sure than the hills and mountains that you know. Those hills and mountains will move, but not these promises. And your righteousness, which can never be questioned by anyone on earth, is certain. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And amen.